Happy birthday Tom, my mother told me as I ambled into the kitchen, wearing a wrinkled suit and tired. That's not until tomorrow mom, I said, walking behind her to grab one of the boxes of cereal from the counter. I grabbed a bowl and poured the cereal, spilling small crispies across the counter. I shook my head and just turned to the fridge for some milk. Aren't you going to see the kids tomorrow, she asked, pulling a small wrapped gift off the counter. Yeah, Linda's going out of town with her new boyfriend Colin, I say the name with a bit of a sneer, crispies falling out of my mouth and back into the bowl. Well, I might not see you and I wanted to make sure I gave this to you, she holds out the gift, smiling and pleased. I put the bowl down on the table. You didn't have to get me anything, I say as I reach for the gift. Actually, I didn't. I just saved something you gave me 30 years ago. Remember that old time capsule you made when you were 10? You were just the cutest boy back then. She hands off the gift and starts wiping down the counter and the drops of milk on the floor. Ugh, is all I can think. I completely forgot about the time capsule I'd made and asked mom to give back to me on my 40th birthday. With that damn prophecy about me saving the world or something. I turn the package over and try to decide if I should open it or throw it on the floor just to watch it break. As I do, the memory comes back to me. Not save the world, but the old fortune teller in the rundown carnival had said I would unite humanity, bring peace, and hunger. It had sounded thrilling at 10 when all the possibilities were still ahead of me. At 40, it was a cruel joke. I tugged at one corner of the wrapping, but out of the corner of my eye I noticed the time and spill what's left of the cereal hasn't made it to my mouth, shirt or the floor already. Gotta go sorry. I'm going to miss the bus. I grab the old thrift store briefcase mom put by the door with my lunch earlier this morning and head out running. I'm sweaty and out of breath by the time I slip into one of the last seats on the bus, but at least I've made it. I choke down a few more mouthfuls of air before my breathing gets back to normal. A young woman sitting next to me looks at me. I smile, trying to hold her attention. She sniffs twice, crinkles her nose, and turns slightly in her seat, returning to her smartphone. It's not even 8.30 in the morning and this day is already down the tubes. I take out my phone too, angry and just looking for somewhere I can take out some aggression and people don't have to know I'm a sweaty, divorced almost 40-year-old living with his parents. I immediately open Twitter. And finally, there was a bit of luck to turn my day around. The president had just sent out a particularly inflammatory tweet moments ago, and there weren't any comments yet. I could be the first. I start typing furiously, thinking about the worst or most horrific thing I could say to get the most attention. Politically, I don't feel strongly for any of the parties or leaders. They're all doing an equally bad job, in my opinion. But it's the best and fastest way to pick a fight and get some attention. And for a few minutes, I am the center of someone's attention. Any PR is good PR, as they say. As the tweets, comments, and notifications start flowing it, I shoot back a few responses and it feels so damn satisfying to finally be noticed. My stop comes up and I slip the phone into my pocket, looking forward to continuing the fight when I get up to my desk. It's a few blocks away and usually takes about 10 minutes to walk at my pace, so I hope the flames will keep themselves fanned until I get there. As I get close to the building's entrance, sweat now soaking through the old sweat stains on the shirt, I get a new, louder notification. Not Twitter, but the emergency alert. Nuclear missiles have been released, please seek cover. I barely get to finish reading before another replaces it. Nuclear me. This time I'm not fast enough and now notifications and notices are coming so fast the screen looks like a news feed scrolling and fast forward. Then all notifications stop and one last one is at the bottom. Cellular signal lost. In the end, it wouldn't have mattered if I took shelter or not. The whistling was so loud it was impossible to miss and the only difference would have been if I died inside the building at a job I hated or outside in the street next to the trash cans.
the head of the Sakha Republic sat at his desk, looking outside on the growing Russian winter. In some ways, Siberia was loveliest during winter, a fact few others appreciated. Isen, his second-in-command came through the door slowly, checking to make sure he was still here. Yes Mikhail, Isen says, looking back to the small stack of papers on the desk. We are certain now, sir, he says, taking a few more steps in and sitting in one of the chairs opposite me. The nuclear strikes three months ago took out 99% of the world's population. There are a few isolated groups of people and Antarctica still has the researchers stationed there. But you are the only elected official who was unaffected. I sent arch an eyebrow, unable to believe it, despite the radio and communication silence over the past 12 weeks. Duh. Was the only reply Mikhail offers? Well, we had enough stores of food here to feed the nation of Russia for a month. At that rate, it can last any survivors left indefinitely. Contact all of them, offer aid. What about political boundaries, tariffs, import regulations? I know it's all moot now, but do we want to try to uphold some of the old ways or disregard them entirely? Mikhail shifts uncomfortably in the old, battered chair. Isen gives a simple one-shoulder shrug. There are no other governing bodies. Then I officially annex the planet under the Sakha Republic. We are now one nation, no further restrictions are in place. 